Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks Insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team Hello. at The Athletic. Yes, here in real life, in the flesh, Thomas Trance. Uh, Canucks <laughs> Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Uh, live from the mobile Kintech studio today, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, and uh, it is the mobile Kintech studio today because we are live from the Canucks Alumni Golf Classic at Northview Golf and Country Club here in Surrey. Beautiful day. Uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully getting to chat with a, a few Canucks alumni as they make their way around the course as well. It should be good. You flew up all the way from California for this. I drove. So you know it's a big deal. I drove, dude. Oh, wow, all right. <laughs> I, I drive to and from California. I know, it's wild. You must have uh, hauled it. I hauled oh, after it. the show on Friday. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I left Saturday morning. It was great. All right. Yeah, tw- 21 hours of driving across about 36 hours. Yeah, no, we, we made good time up the I-5, and it was a beautiful, beautiful ride. Hey. I don't spend a lot of time on the golf course. I don't know if you know this. And it's not just because, you know, I'm always in the playoffs. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I just don't, I'm, I'm not a golfer. I, sure. I, not my sport. So I'd never seen these Roomba golf bags that yeah. drive themselves. My goodness. The remote what? control ones? What? Yeah. Oh, they're remote uh, yeah. controlled? Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought they were Roombas. I no, thought the, they were The person just... who gave you a demonstration was like, surreptitiously had a remote control in their hands <laughs> oh, got and it. they were hiding it from you to impress you <laughs> they did impress me i'm blown away what a great innovation my goodness very impressive yeah well you know what you need, you need some help getting around the course of it's days. it's like puck moving defenseman like it's like fantastic innovation we need more of sure them. All right. Um, Lots to get to today. As mentioned, uh, we will uh, hopefully be able to chat with uh, more than a handful of some Canucks alumni as they as they come around the course here. Uh, You can get your text in as well. 650 650. Uh, We should start. There is game six of the Western Conference finals going today, but we should start with uh, a big congratulations to Ethan Bear and Tyler Myers. Yeah. Gold medalists as part of Team Canada at the World Hockey Championships. Although Bear hurt yes. and didn't play in the gold medal game, so hopefully he gets right because yep. that is the risk of the world, right? It is. The, the positive side of the ledger, like the Canadian gold medal winners capture the positives and the negatives of participating in a sort of postseason tournament like the World Championships. You know, for Myers, who had a nightmare campaign. I mean – Let's be honest. It wasn't a good season. It was really tough. It was a really tough season. As the club's defensive issues mounted, he was the face of fan frustration for a variety of reasons, both fair and unfair. And, you know, you know that he came out of this season thinking, I didn't play my best hockey this year. He's a he's a vet. He's been around. He's a smart guy. He knows when he's playing well. He knows when he's not. And, And to top it all off, he was also in trade rumors all season. So to be able to go and still is, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's and not stopping because the season's over. No, but, but to be able to go over to Latvia and have a time. And I don't know if you saw, but he posted on Instagram. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. A, a pretty defiant, like they said we were the worst team. By the way, I, I literally went and Twitter searched the exact caption of that Instagram and post. No, it didn't come up. Found like nothing. Well, but, listen, but it, it doesn't matter. Sports is all about inventing a guy to get mad at. hundred percent is an edge. Steph using Curry can't even shoot. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I loved it for him. I'm really happy for Tyler Myers that he gets to go into this offseason on such a uplifting, positive, constructive note for him. You know, it's a contract year for Myers. And 
for as oft maligned and, and again, a lot of it fair as he's been in this market, there's also been stretches, whole seasons where he's played really well. Like I'd say when you sign a $6 million UFA defenseman who's sort of, you know, was a 3-4 in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. right? And uh, really was their third most important right-handed right defenseman, defenseman yeah. right? Um, to a $6 million contract. Like the Myers outcome is not outside. Like this was – he almost – he almost exceeded what should have reasonably been expected. Like, it's not on him, necessarily, that the Canucks made the decision that they did to sign him. If you look at that 1920 season, he was really good. If you look at the Bruce Boudreau bump stretch, he was really good. And he's had a couple of really tough seasons thrown in there as well. So, you know, he, he's been a little bit up and down in his Canucks tenure, but he remains a good player. He's going into a contract year. He's still got a unique profile. Like, a Myers bounce back, whether it's in Vancouver or elsewhere – Shouldn't be outside the realm of expectations. One one hopes that he's sort of set himself up, like building block stuff from a confidence standpoint going into this summer. And then the other side of that ledger, though, is, you know, Bear had his contract year. Yeah. He's an RFA. And, you know, doesn't look like it's serious based on reporting from Rick Dollywall of Czech TV and The Athletic. But, um, you know, not ideal to start your offseason, especially when you weren't hurt in advance. Uh, in this manner, particularly because there's a real chance that he signs a one-year deal. Well, or... And also, like, your contract hasn't been done yet. Yeah. You know, and that who knows? They might be really close to signing it. They might have a very specific frame for, framework for what they want it to look like. But it's still not done. No. Right? You have not signed on the dotted line. So that's always a nervous situation. For I mean, sure. That's a reason a lot of players don't go in Ethan Bear. So, like, credit to him for Absolutely. saying, no, I want to go and represent my country. Uh, when he was in that situation, as you said, you know, it doesn't seem to be serious. So hopefully it doesn't... Um, you know, actually, like the worst case scenario doesn't anything. come yeah. to fruition. No, for sure. For but, but it's still, no matter what, he's lost a few weeks, yeah. right? Like, no matter what, you're you're starting your off-season workouts a little bit behind the eight ball from where you would have otherwise. Not ideal. Um, but, yeah, cool for them to win gold, and, and I'm sure it was a cool experience over in Riga. It certainly was for Archer a Silas. scene. <laughs> yeah, Archer Silas, national hero. MVP of the tournament. Awesome. First medal ever for the country at home in Riga like hockey mad country you saw the reaction what it meant to them the bronze medal and I'm not saying that to denigrate it but just like how incredibly important a medal was for them the way Silovs played in that tournament I mean what a phenomenal experience for a young hockey player like it just all came together and to to me the fact that he's tournament MVP is just so jaw-dropping right like it's not just hey he had a really good run it's like no, no, no. He was named best player of the tournament in what, doing this for his country. Well, and it's like he to beat out Sam Montembeau, considering what Montembeau did, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, you know, there's this thing with prospects, right, where on a player's rise up the ranks, right, because NHL players are so, so good. Like, even the low-end NHL players oh, are yeah. so, so good. You know, you have to have some moments that really pop. And and Seelovs is beginning to build a few, right? I, I mean, strong performance in the American League, mm-hmm. showed well, really well, I'd say, in the NHL uh, across, what, was it two or three starts? Yeah, something like that. And now to have this, you know, now he goes into next season with, like, hype. Like, people are talking about him having enough trade value to be worth trading. People are talking about him... As, as the guy who should back up Thatcher Demko, I mean, he's coming into this offseason or this summer now uh, and, and into training camp next year with, like, real curiosity and hype as a guy who could help this team win games. Uh, it's a fan fantastic glow-up 
for a sixth-round pick only a few years ago. Yep, sixth-round pick in 2019. Let, let's dwell on this, by the way. The, the Demco conversation, or sorry, the Seelaws conversation. conversation. Well, it's fascinating. You know, it is, and all, for, it's very understandable why he's getting so much hype, obviously. When you turn in this sort of performance with this sort of spectacle attached to it, like, fans are going to notice. Fans are going to get really excited about oh, you. Oh, you filled the streets of yeah. Riga <laughs> with your puck stopping? There's nothing wrong with that. There's cool. absolutely nothing wrong with very, fans very cool. getting excited about that. The que- like, I am kind of torn on the, okay, well, what does it mean, like, right now? What does it mean in September, in October, when the Canucks are setting their roster? I'm not sure it means that much I don't say that to kind of like oh you're all getting excited for no reason that's not why I'm saying it I just think and I think I made this point on the show last week if anything the more excited you are about his future as an NHL goalie like the more you should only be focused on his development this year right right? like you know the higher his ceiling you decide the higher the ceiling you think he has the more important it is not to be distracted by the needs of the team this coming season that's how I look at I it. I think anyways. that's right. But I also think it should increase this organization's confidence level in their plan to cobble together decent mm. 25 games worth of backup goaltending, um, you know, out of a guy who's paid less than the veteran minimum and, um, you know, an, a, an AHL sort of 1A from last season who, you know, performed well in three NHL games but only has three NHL games under his belt. I also think that, so I'm of two minds here, right? And and I think it's an interesting discussion because for me, if you're thinking Seelovs should back up full time, right? If your argument is Seelovs, it's time to see what Seelovs can do. Yep. The one thing I have time for in making that argument is, you know, NHL players tend to get a shot really young, right? But NHL goalies tend to have to wait, mm-hmm. right? They they don't make it to the league until they're 23 or 24. And then at, we've at least often, yeah. Sometimes yeah, it's later than that. The really. Jimmy Howard, um, yep. Corey Crawford experience is like twenty six plus. Uh, Corey Schneider, right? But like, wh- why? You know, I, I, are you telling me that Thatcher Demko in that last AHL season where he was dominant couldn't have played in the NHL, or Jacob Markstrom when he cleared waivers and he was twenty four and he was the best goaltender in the AHL and led the Utica Comets to the Calder Cup final, you're telling me he wasn't an NHL quality goaltender? Yeah. You're telling the, telling me this team really needed to go sign Ryan Miller? Like, I, I don't buy it. You know, I, I think that goalies can probably play earlier than they're afforded opportunities to. And I, I think we're kind of seeing it now because the pandemic and the stress of the position, a, an increasing awareness of the stress of the position has caused us to see more young netminders, whether it's, you know, a Spencer Knight or... Um, you know, Kachetkov in uh, Carolina. Who's that goalie who robbed the Canucks in, in Arizona? That guy, too. Oh, yeah. Um, I forget his name. But, but you know what I'm talking mean, about, that yeah. Russian goaltender. Like, you are seeing more younger guys get looks well, earlier. Jake Ottinger's only 24. Right. You know what I mean? And he's, like, already ascended to, totally. by some people's estimation, you know, the top of the position or yeah. near the top of the position. Very, the very league. much near the top of the yeah. position. So, you know, I, I do sort of think that the idea of, like, over-ripening is silly. Like, I think that's been, like, something Ken Holland said once 15 years ago that everyone's repeated as if it's right. And and I don't know that there's a lot of evidence for it, and I certainly don't think there's much evidence for it in, in net. I think a lot of it's just survivorship bias and the way that teams operate or prefer to operate with a reliable, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, reliable goaltender in net. So I'm open to the idea that Seelovs could be ready way earlier than people realize. But I'm... I, I think if you're making that decision, if you're if you're coming into training camp and letting him compete for the job and you're really giving him a chance to win the backup job, 
the moment he does so, you're committing to no more than 50 games for Thatcher Demko. Right? Like, you still yeah, you, have to get him his games. Thing. That's the thing. Like, I think in general, what you're saying about goalies being ready maybe earlier than we expect, I think there's a lot to say for that. It, but then the question is, how does that apply to the Canucks-specific situation, right? Where you already have Thatcher Demko, who you feel probably really good about still, in net. And what does that mean for how much playing time Archer Seelovs would get? And are you willing to... Are you willing to say like, yeah, we're gonna play Archer Silov's thirty-five games? Well, and do next you year. have and do you have the discipline to have that conversation with Demko yep. and then enforce it, right? Because here's and the stick thing. to it. Well, and because here's the thing about goalies: game day arrives. Guess what? Your starter he wants to play. He's a hyper competitive athlete. He plays a singular position in a team sport mm-hmm. where his performance dictates the result of the game more than anyone else's. Like, there are no goalies who reach the NHL who aren't the most competitive guy you've ever met. Like, I promise you, across the board, they want to play. They want to play every game. Like, that's who they are. That's, you know, uh, 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 essential to, to their being, to their existence. And so you have to explain it to your starter. And then you have to, as a, as a head coach, as a coaching staff, as a management group, like, commit to a plan and really stick with it, even when things start to yeah. go against you. Like, even when you start to feel like, oh, man, you know, our market's really up in arms. The people are panicking. We need a win tonight. Or, but. Yeah, no, or you know, you're, you're four and six on the road, and your plan was to play them both twice, but you've lost the first three, you only, or you only have one point, and you're like, oh, we should probably, I think we should play Demko in the last one. It's like, you just once you, stick, once you have that plan, you got to stick to it, even when it's hard, even when you're feeling the pressure to get that last win. Well, and that's the test. And then, so I think you're committing. If you're, if you're going to give Seelovs a chance to be the backup, I think you're committing to really scaling back Thatcher Demko's ice time. And one thing that interested me, because I went back and looked at it now, it's a little bit difficult because Rick Tockett, so Rick Tockett coached for four years in Arizona, and the Coyotes had Antti Ranta, mm-hmm. who had, uh, like, I don't know if you remember this, but Antti Ranta was like, there was a point in midseason where people was like, could he be a Vesna nominee? Because Tockett yep. came in and installed this defensive system, and they had Yalmerson, and they had... OEL and they had on you know just like uh, an absolute legion of defensive personnel and and it was a good shutdown team and Ronta played well and then he gets hurt right so he only plays like 47 games um, they end up trading for Darcy Kemper and Kemper never plays more than 55 for the Coyotes in a single season so as they went as the Arizona Coyotes ran under Rick Tockett he didn't really have a 60 goal starter at any point. Now, would he have in that Ronta season if he hadn't gotten hurt? Yeah. Probably. But but for the most part, Rick Tockett hasn't been a ride my guy head coach, at least in the sample of games that we've seen, um, you know, him as an NHL bench boss to this point. So does that change your confidence level that he could stick to, you know, a plan that's collaboratively put together with your goaltenders, Ian Clark, management, and... Um, and the head coach to get Seelovs an appropriate amount of uh, of action if you're sort of considering that. Uh, you know, maybe. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think the Arizona situation was so odd for so many reasons that I don't know that I look at it as instructive. But the fact that Tockett hasn't been an old school, I have my starter, I trust yep. my starter, and he's I ride 60 my plus starter guy. For sure, yeah. That at least does make me open to the possibility that you could – pencil Seelovs into a, a backup role. I just don't think you can have him as a as a 22-game backup. It needs to be 32 minimum. 
Yeah, well, and ideally, no matter who the backup is, you want to be getting Demko down at least to 55 starts, right? I, I even think that's too high. Yeah, but, like, at least, bare minimum, you want that's where you want it to be. And I guess the other question like, is... He, he's done that once in his career. You know, like, that's, that's too much. I, I really do think... And here's the other thing. If you're on the verge of declaring a retool dead, right? If you're uh, trading picks for players, like, surely your ambition isn't just to make it into the playoffs. Surely your ambition is to be a tough out when you get there. Well, you you don't want Thatcher Demko playing game 70 <laughs> when you're yeah. playing when you're or 69 when you're playing for, uh, you know, game, game seven, seven in the, of, first the first round, round right? Yeah. Like you want... You know, like, look at Bobrovsky. When did Bobrovsky peak? Between games 45 and 60 of, you know, like, he's only now reached the point where he's played as many games as Jake Ottinger. That's where he's at. That's how you want to manage it if you want to be imposing in the tournament. If you want to sell, anything can happen. Well, you better have the anything-can-happen goaltender, <laughs> You're the ace in your deck, ready to be played and, and ridden as the trump card that he could be, um, you know, when the playoffs begin. And I think the other question with Seelovs is how much, ju- again, just for this year, how much greater is the upside over Spencer Martin? And obviously, like, upside as a goalie, Seelovs has way more. I understand that. But, you know, uh, Harmon Dial at The Athletic, I thought, made a really good point in his piece today that, you know, Spencer Martin actually really turned his season around when he went to Abbotsford. Yes, it went off the rails in a horrible, horrible way uh, at the NHL level when Thatcher Demko was injured and it was really tough season for Spencer Martin at the NHL level. But once he went back down to Abbotsford, he got things turned around and he was playing better than Archer Seelovs down the stretch, which is not to say that it's a lock that, you know, he's he's more fit to be the backup. But I just keep kind of coming back to the thing that's been talked about a lot, which is the Spencer Martin. Like, the, the, when you look at just the facts of the Canucks situation specifically, the goalies they have available to them, the contract situation, the waiver situation, all of it, like the, you know, Seelov starts in Abbotsford and gets called up here and there to the Canucks and contributes, but is kind of your your other backup who yep. who plays mostly in Abbotsford. Like I think there's a reason this is the two B plan. I think there's a reason we've talked about that so much because it makes a lot of sense. It yeah. makes a lot of sense with the guys and the personnel you have available to you. It's the Hamlet quandary. Yes, to be or not to be. That's the what Hamlet the Hamlet plan. <laughs> yeah, this is my Hamlet plan for Archer Seelovs. For Archer Seelovs. Little, little literary reference for our uh, for our listeners yes, today. Hey, um, nice. so, you know, the Seelovs thing is fascinating for so many reasons, and I just want to note one other thing, because you know me. Yeah. And, and the Canucks are, uh, like, reportedly not going to sign Arvid Kosmar this yep. week by by June 1st. Um, Arvid Kosmar, 2019 seventh-round pick. There was a moment where he was trending in a really positive way. Yeah, he had, like, Starred. the strong defensive performance at the World Juniors yeah, for Sweden. Well, and offensive. Like, yep. and, and his um, and his counting stats in his draft plus one in, I, th- was, I don't know if it was the SHL or the Allsvenskan, were, like, very, very promising. There was a moment where he looked like one of those prospects who could buck you know, the the usual expected draft pick value of a seventh-round pick and, and really be something. And Kosmar will ultimately not be signed. Now, he was waylaid by injuries, by the way. So really an unfortunate thing, but that's that's hockey. That's how hard it is to make the NHL. And I, I bring this up because in the context of the Seelovs trade discussion, right, mm-hmm. the thing to remember I think, anyway, is like a prospect goaltender with three NHL games, no matter how well they played at the Worlds, doesn't have value commensurate 
with finding out what he is over the next two years, right? Like there, this is not, even if you're trying to sell high and, and everyone knows, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm the guy who is going to start banging the table when I think this team is a, a, has a sell high opportunity. I don't think this is even close to that. The moment where goalies seem to have real value, whether it's Semyon Varlamov, whether it's Corey Schneider, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, any of the goalies that were traded for a significant haul in, in the last few years. Cam Talbot, Eddie Lack, um, you know, go down the list. Darius Hamper, right, when, when he first got dealt. Where those goalies really have value tends to be that moment where they're an established backup who could be a great starter. Jonathan Bernier would be another. Freddie Anderson, on and on, right? The guys who get, like, late first-round picks or first-round picks, right? Those types of trade returns, those come at that moment when a guy's played, like, 55 to 60 NHL games and has like a 925 and he's not a proven starter but the lottery ticket to find out what he could be as a starter is something every team values and ideally he hasn't been paid like a full value yes, contract yet. That's part of, that's a big part of it. That's right? the moment. That's the moment where a guy like um you know a, a homegrown young up and coming goaltender has like significant value to the club we're years away. Certainly at least two from Seelov's reaching that point. So for me, it's way too premature to have that conversation. See, my uh, my hot take isn't that they should be trading Archer Seelov's. It's that they should be signing to an extension. He's eligible for an extension this summer. Yeah, but you, you can go long, lock in that value. So, Let's go. Uh, now, there's going to be an interesting time to have that conversation. You're just about six months ahead of where, where I'm at. Like, yeah. if he has another strong... AHL. You know, run, well, another yeah. strong AHL performance and has a really good run of 10 games or so in the NHL, then I think you get to a point like that Kachetkov deal is a really interesting yeah, one. four years at $2 million per, Is it right? two per? I, I believe it was two. Okay, so because we're at this moment where um, b- the average backup goaltender is going, yeah, it's $2 million, is going to exceed $2 million in terms of their cost. So... Once you have a goaltender who you think is a safe bet to provide you that floor of reliable backup goaltending, you might as well go long because then if they turn into a $2 million starter, you're laughing. And if they end up just being like a 905 guy who's a, who's a reliable backup, that's well, market got, value. We've got our backup. That, yeah. That's market value. So, the, so I do think there's an interesting opportunity available to the Canucks in the next you know six to eight months here, but there's no need to make that decision this aggressively no, unless doesn't. you're unless you're doing it for like four times 1.5 or four times yeah. one like unless you're really taking a home run cut to get you know a huge dividend from the surplus value i i think it's premature yeah no i'm not saying it has to be uh you know grinded out on july 1st get him locked up but i do think <laughs> it's an interesting situation right he has he's it's going an interesting in, thought experiment he's too. going into the last year of his deal right thatcher demko has three more remaining on this so if you can extend him like on a four-year deal, so that's two years past the expiry of Thatcher Demko, you at least put yourself in a position where the eventual, like, next decision on Demko, you might have kind of an ace up your sleeve. If, if that deal with Seelovs goes well, where you're kind of dealing with a safety net when you're making the decision on Thatcher Demko in a couple years' time, I, right? I, I, at the end of the day, though, you're talking about a guy with 58 games, or sorry, 60 games of, of professional experience, at the NHL and so, AHL sounds level. Sounds like it's time to roll the dice to me. <laughs> 9.05 save percentage in the A, 9.08 save percentage in the NHL. I need to see a little bit more before I'm placing a floor bet on a, on a player <laughs> oh, like that, and I, I think that would be the approach. I just, I, like, I was the same thing with my Hirose take. Just like, whatever. Just roll the dice. Let's just do it. <laughs> let's roll. You're just, like, you're, you're just the, the Firefest guys. Let's just do it and be legends. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's my take. Well, no. yeah, the problem is, is if you do that, you might end up eating a Firefest-quality yes. lunch. Yes, you absolutely might. Um, all right, we're uh, live here from the Canucks Alumni Golf Classic at Northview Golf and Country Club. Uh, hopefully we're going to speak to former Canucks owner Arthur Griffiths coming up next here. Uh, get your text in 650-650. More Canucks talk on the way here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Canucks Alumni Golf Classic at Northview Golf and Country Club. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the mobile Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We are going to have a chance to speak with uh, former Canucks owner Arthur Griffiths here in just a couple minutes, but I did want to read this text from Andrew in Langley. We were talking about uh, the goalie usage situation for the Canucks going into next season and the need to limit Demko's workload. Andrew in Langley texts in, what has changed in goaltending in the past two decades where Luongo, Rene, and others could do 65-plus starts to where now goalies are hovering around 50? Is fitness different? That is the question from Andrew in Langley. And, you know, without being an expert on it, just the first thing that kind of pops in my mind is we are seeing reduced workloads basically across professional sports, right? Like we all talk about load management in the NBA. That's been such a big deal. But even, you know, the, the position that I always think – uh, and kind of compare it to is pitchers in baseball, you know, how rare is a complete game now or a 250-inning starter over a season compared to what it was 20 or 30 years ago? I oh, think it's yeah. just we're we learning a lot about the stress that certain positions put on a player and how best to manage it. I think that that's kind of the biggest thing that it comes down to for me. Yeah, well, and so here's the thing. When you think about the workhorse goalies of the previous generation, right, when, when goalies used to play 65 plus yeah and and still by the way they didn't do that as often as you'd think when you actually go look at it like the 65 game season is still was still rare there was a handful of guys who were kind of eligible for it every year yeah but it wasn't as if every team was riding somebody 60 65 plus you no know what I mean? and the, even the 70 like the 70 game mark very rarely happened like mm-hmm. honestly it's it's really not as common as as in our mind's eye we think it was but certainly there were some guys like the the Brodeur school who who hit it almost on an everyday basis Luongo was kind of the last of the workhorse starters but think about the last generation of guys who you know 60 games pencil them in 62 pencil them in backup uh, their backup really is playing like 15 to 20 every every season um Lundqvist mm-hmm. Luongo Carey Price Pecorine Kari Lettinen had a long run playing playing yep. a ton of games. Um, you know, you, you go down the list of names, and, and oh, Marc-Andre Fleury. You, you go down the list of names, and, I mean, Fleury would be the exception. Jonathan Quick would be the exception. But the rule was they didn't win. They didn't win cups, right? And and I think more than anything, it's it's a recognition that if you're going to get a goalie's best game, you know, it's probably best to limit. <laughs> the, yep. the, the games that they're playing in the regular season like you know I, again you want your goalie playing games 45 through 60 if you can you know uh, the the Panthers are going to go into the Stanley Cup final 
and Bobrovsky is going to have been playing is going to play a 60th game of the season, 61st game of the season, something like that. If the Dallas Stars win, Ottinger is going to be playing his 80th. Like that matters. Mm-hmm. That matters at at the meat of the season. Even though Ottinger is the the far better bet to be an above average starter next season. You know, the, the goalie edge for Dallas is, like, blunted. And I, I think it's been blunted in this Vegas series, too, against Aiden Hill. Like, Ottinger against Aiden Hill should be a, you know, clear-cut victory for the Stars. And I don't think it has been as this series has kind of turned because of the fact that, you know, Aiden Hill's playing his 40th game of the season and Ottinger's been burning the candle at both ends all year. So I think more than anything, it's it's a, a, an understanding of, hey, if everything is about winning the Cup, how do we put our starter in the best possible spot to steal us games when those games really matter? It is Canucks talk here on Sports at 650 again, live at Northview Golf and Country Club for the Canucks Alumni Golf Classic Tournament. And uh, we are now very pleased to be joined by the former owner of the Vancouver Canucks, Arthur Griffiths. Arthur, thanks very much for making time for us today. How are you? My pleasure. What a great day it's going to be. Yeah, it's uh, it's a beautiful day here, and we're excited to uh, chat to you and some of the other members of the Alumni Association. Um, it, it's a really interesting time right now around the NHL, specifically, I think, on the business side of things. And, you know, we've obviously had recent expansion in Vegas and Seattle. Those teams have been very uh, successful. We're also watching the sale of the Ottawa Senators unfold and all this incredible amount of interest and desire to get into the club of the NHL. What what kind of goes through your mind as a former owner in the league watching this amount of money, first of all, exchanging hands and this this amount of excitement to own an NHL team right now? Well, it it goes back to me to 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 um, for the league to get to where it is today. It needed to get its house in order uh, on a business level. the, and that required uh, surgery on the revenue streams. Uh, it required uh, cooperation from all the teams to share that revenue, and then ultimately it had to it had to come down to uh, the game itself. Um, there's always when you change something that's so traditional with people, there's always pushback on the on uh, things like you know various rule changes, whether it be overtime, shootout, all those sorts of things. But uh, the numbers don't lie. Uh, buildings are full. Uh, yeah, so the the business side of the game uh, obviously required work on the ice as well. And uh, I think that's the thing that's uh, most gratifying to me is that uh, markets that uh, did not traditionally, uh, wouldn't call it uh, in their DNA, uh, today would uh, call themselves fans, um, whether they be uh, in the South Belt or otherwise. So it's, it's a game that is... Uh, worthy of the attention and I think worthy of the franchise values because the other side of it is that teams make money in my day unfortunately we didn't too often uh, and so yeah I'm, I'm, and the players are making uh, good salaries they say the least Arthur when you owned the Canucks and obviously when your family ran things there weren't there wasn't a hard cap there wasn't sort of restrictions on salaries now on the one hand salaries have ballooned significantly in the 20 years since but also there wasn't a sense of cost certainty from an ownership perspective in, in terms of, you know, player personnel expenditure, which obviously is the biggest expense that NHL teams grapple with. How much do you think that's changed the game from an ownership perspective? Well, I mean, I think there are more people willing to buy franchises because there is certainty. Mm. And uh, and that's the values. Uh, and the other side of it is, is that, you know, it's a little bit less known uh, because it's not front of mind, perhaps. But when you uh, look at the balance sheet or, for that matter, an income statement, 
if you have a revenue from the National Hockey League through broadcasting and licensing and merchandising and marketing, and that includes the outdoor games, mm -hmm. I call it the league-generated, single league-generated revenue, it's divided equally. When you do that, and it's U.S. dollars, you're getting a long way towards being able to match uh, the payroll that you have to pay out. So and another thing uh, that I know is increasingly common around the NHL is teams that own their rank, and often it's a, it's a much more modern facility than you know teams 30 or 40 years ago, obviously, were playing in. And, and one of the things that's kind of uh, front and center right now in the discussion around the Canucks is the ongoing efforts to upgrade and modernize Rogers Arena a little bit. You know, obviously you were instrumental in getting Rogers Arena built, and it's, it's coming up on its 30th anniversary here. Just what's it like from an organizational perspective to kind of, you know, the the decision-making and the resources that go into making sure your facility is as as uh, as modern and as kind of high-functioning as it can be? Well, obviously you stay with the trend. Uh, you find out what's making, uh, what's where the revenues are coming from and where they're not. Uh, and I'd say the, the arena now here, for example, in Rogers, they're recognizing that what was at one time the panacea, which would have been the, the suites mm. in terms of revenues, well, those suites are, there is a revenue line item there, but they're not nearly what it used to be. And so you're converting them into different kind of revenue models and uh, I think that's the thing that the other thing this this organization is doing is recognizing where the where the team was what it was built for what when it, what the times were like but they're constantly updating the building therein lies that it's really an older building but it's modern uh, and that's the thing that I I'm so uh, happy that it's able to be done that way because you can't beat the location you certainly can't beat the uh, uh, both transit as well as residents and locals and I think uh, Vancouver's uh, Location was always key, and I think it still will always be. Arthur, dating back to before the franchise came into existence, like 1968, there's a plebiscite vote on the location of the arena and whether it would be downtown or, or in Burnaby, and that ended up being, you know, a long... Uh, we probably don't remember it now that it's been... You probably do, but it's been 25 years since this was a local talking point, and now um, it feels settled. It feels wild to think that the Canucks would play anywhere but downtown. Um with the way that the sport has evolved over the last 30 years and, and the struggles that the suburban barns have had, do you ever reflect on that in thinking about the effort to get GM Place built? Well, it was, it was, it was a no-go for me if it wasn't downtown. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could have even renovated the Pacific Coliseum, perhaps, but it was absolutely nonsense. It was just a waste of energy, a waste of time, a waste of money, and frankly, it would never have flown. When I saw buildings come on stream later on that were, I'll call it rural, it made no sense to me. I couldn't understand it. And that's why there's challenges from time to time. And that's why Ottawa wants to go downtown. That's why, that's frankly why Phoenix is the biggest Achilles heel. It's not downtown. If you, if you ever went to the America West Arena when they, when they were first playing in there, it was a bustling. It was hostile. It was great. It's just it's in the wrong place. And I think that's, that's the kiss of death, it seems to me, uh, you know, as a, former owner and someone making that decision myself it was it was about downtown does that validate your obsession at the time the the way that we've seen sunrise glendale canada struggle does that validate your efforts yeah and and if you take it to the extreme new york rangers have renovated madison square gardeners god knows how many times and one time they spent a billion dollars on the same location like 30 years after it was built so um that 
just says it all. Is that the future, do you think? Because I, you know, there was this wave in the 90s of teams moving to, you know, at the time, kind of state-of-the-art modern buildings downtown. And I'm thinking of Vancouver, but also, you know, prime locations in Toronto, prime locations in Montreal. And, you know, at a certain point, you might want to really update the building, but you don't want to give up that location. Is the Madison Square Garden example that you bring up kind of the blueprint for all these franchises going forward? I think so. I, I do. Um, and now, uh, Toronto's a little bit of an anomaly, but... But really, Toronto shifted entirely as a city towards the water, as it should. And so that made sense as well. And, of course, who got the baseball stadium next door? <laughs> Why do you think there is uh, reluctance maybe to learn that lesson from some other teams, right, that that do that they did end up building in the suburbs and not downtown? Well, people are enticed. They're enticed by uh, the idea that they can have all this real estate, and they can build it, and you know, so to speak, build it, and people will build their town around it, the residential the hotels and restaurants. But it still doesn't meet, beat the fact that the – transit grid uh, the businesses that live and work in the cities and all and everything is is center focused down there so i think that's the challenge uh that uh people got enticed by arthur you know in addition to the canucks you were obviously instrumental in bringing the vancouver grizzlies uh to vancouver originally and, and obviously the team has departed um the nba and the nhl are both sort of facing non-traditional Stanley Cup Finals. I mean, I mean, it's not going to be Celtics-Lakers on the NBA side, uh, even if the Celtics do make it. Uh, there's a chance that it's Nuggets-Heat, and there will be significant concerns from their national broadcast partner about what the ratings might look like for that. Similarly, in, in the NHL, how do you view the success of non-traditional franchises across the NBA and the NHL in the playoffs this year? What challenges and what opportunities that poses for those respective leagues? Uh, well, it's uh, hockey slightly different than basketball for sure um, because, you know, traditional territories as a, you would imagine he's Canadian if you wish or Northern Hemisphere, North, North, North America. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I think that over time, uh, you know, you look at Tampa Bay, for example, uh, they've had success. I mean, the, the audience was, were great. California, you know, it's, it's just, a, I think it's evolution. It'll just take some time for those markets to become and therefore in lies the audience to become greater but you've got you're fighting with baseball and basketball and other cities in the u.s uh all year round and the particular ratings time a uh, few more minutes here with arthur, arthur griffiths former owner of the vancouver canucks here on canucks talk sportsnet 650 uh as we hit 30 years without a canadian nhl team winning the stanley cup there's been a lot of chatter is it just random or is there something about owning an nhl team in canada that makes it that much more difficult to ultimately bring home the stanley cup do you have a thought on that, Arthur? Uh, I, I do. I, I find it. Uh, I actually took a friend of mine's head off the other day because he said, oh, there's a, there's a coup attempted against uh, by, by, by the lead management against <laughs> the owners. I said, why in the world would you want not to have a Canadian team? Because if you did, and just to this point earlier, the audience that would be across the uh, north, north in Canada mm-hmm. would, would triple the U.S. audience. So just uh, realize that that's not the case. Um, and the Canadian teams just have to get better at what we have to do, which is win. Uh, and uh, I, I think uh, we've got some good – well, look, we've got two for sure in uh, in Toronto and Toronto and uh, Edmonton that are maybe Calgary, and let's hope uh, Vancouver in the near future. Arthur, you're a regular at these alumni events, and, and obviously this franchise's uh, DNA from a community outreach standpoint was really established while your family were owners and, and under Pat Quinn and, and Brian Burke. Uh, as well um 
why is it so important to you to be as active with the alumni association and, and out at events like this as you are? It, our job is our job is to make sure that what we do in the community is we walk the talk, make sure that the alumni is out there, make sure the players are out there, make sure the team is out there, uh, and it's and we become an extension of the team as we know because the alumni can do more than the players can mm-hmm. for various reasons. So I'm a I'm a strong believer that that uh, it's about. Uh, uh, making sure that, uh, and, in, and in our case, of course, with the alumni, we can do the entire province relatively mm. easily. So we're a, we're a voice for that, and uh, then the causes we support uh, line up with that. Arthur, these these are always great events, and we always really appreciate your time. Uh, we'll let you get back to the greens. Thank you very yeah, much. Shoot well. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank Cheers. You. All right. Be well. Uh, that is uh, former Canucks owner Arthur Griffiths sitting down with us tableside here at Northview Golf and Country Club in Surrey, and always uh, yeah, really interesting and really fun to chat. You know, wasn't too much specific on the Canucks there, but he's just so thoughtful and, and knowledgeable, obviously firsthand knowledgeable about the business of the game, the business of sports in North America. And, you know, I thought his point about the um, the renovations at Madison Square Garden was, was a really interesting one. It's something I've been thinking about a lot. Obviously, we've talked a lot over the last year or so, and I know it's been in the news recently, you know, renovations at Rogers Arena. You know, all these new buildings are coming up on 30, 35 years. Right, new, right? They were new in the 90s, and they were state-of-the-art. Now they're getting a little long in the tooth. But the thing is, I mean, where else are you going to – you don't want to put a rink anywhere else in Vancouver. It's in the perfect location where it is. So you're just going to have to steadily and, you know, make a real point of constantly making those investments to preserve the value of Rogers Arena. And as he said, like – yeah, Madison Square Garden, they spent a billion dollars upgrading. <laughs> Just upgrading, not building anything new, upgrading it to well, make it, you know, a state-of-the-art facility again. I, I mean, it that, was it was a new building. Yeah, but you know what I mean. I like, do, yeah. It, it's, it, it's, it is and it isn't a new building. I mean, yes, I guess you could right. look at Climate Pledge where they kind of built it on top of Key Arena. That is absolutely a new building. To me, that's a, that's a different <laughs> scenario. That's just a new building, and you had the luxury of – you know, you're not trying to squeeze it in in the summers between when your key tenants are playing right. in there, right? Like, that's the key difference is you don't have that runway to really, you know, tear things down to the studs. You kind of have to do it here or there, well, and but you have to make sure it gets done. And the key arena example or the climate pledge arena example is a potent one, too, because that was a also a $1.2 billion project, mm-hmm. privately financed. Right? And why was it privately financed? Why was Rogers Arena public? Pu- uh, privately financed originally mm-hmm. politics we don't have the appetite in no. british columbia uh, i mean repeatedly right i mean you can go back to the plebiscites surrounding the olympics and and how you know narrowly those passed right i mean it's really hard to convince vancouverites to spend public money on on sports especially pro sports it, it's just really difficult so you know yeah it's going to be a massive project at some point like there's no question and, and i think the thing to remember too is it's not just about business right i mean obviously everything's about business but it's not just about you know suites and revenue generating spaces it's also competitive right it's also about the quality of the ice at rogers arena right which uh, has has really like used to be some of the best in the league and really isn't anymore right like really isn't um you know, in fact, it's quite problematic. So there's dehumidifiers to replace. There's all sorts of gear uh, that supports the, you know, like the the way that hockey is played in that building. Um, the locker room facilities, which were, you know, renovated last summer, 
and, and sort of left the club with one of the toughest road setups in the league. Like that's for a lot of NHL players who don't play for the Canucks, like the vast majority of them, you know, that's their main impression of this team right now. It's, it's not ideal. So, you know, it, it's pricey and it's difficult. It, it's going to be a really tricky thing for this organization to do to modernize their operation, given the limited footprint of Rogers Arena and, and the, you know, mounting needs to significantly renovate that space. Yeah, and I think it's a good way of putting it, right, the competitive aspect as well, because, you know, we focus on the seats or, right, right the public-facing, the, the fan experience part of it. And I don't want to, like, that's important, obviously, as well, the business side of things, but the competitive advantage and just making sure everything is as top-notch as it can be is really important, too. And, of course, you know, the other thing I think of there is the practice facility, right, kind of the great white whale of, <laughs> of Vancouver Canucks facility talks that has always been talked about but has never actually come to fruition. That's going to be uh, that's going to be a story until it happens, right, that you need to find a way to get that practice facility built in a way that makes sense, in a way that helps your team. We've heard Jim Rutherford reference it. We haven't seen any movement on it, but I think that's a big, uh, well, a that, big deal here going forward. That too. one's essential. Like, that's an area where – no matter what the state of your game rank, you know, you'll you'll be left behind. And think about think about it this way. How much did Rick Tockett and company talk about off season training? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, genuinely speaking, like once the ice comes up at Rogers Arena, right, for the summer, what facilities Where can the Canucks it? can the Canucks offer their players that are better than the facilities that they will have in their own hometown, right? Like part of the pitch you're making, if it's like stay in Vancouver and have a strong summer, you know, that pitch can include, and you'll drive sweaty from eight rinks or UBC back to our gym facility, right? Like other places where, you know, including like, the, you know, uh, if you play for a junior team in Sweden, right? Like, can you, if you were going to summer in Sunsfall or in Vancouver, from the perspective of Elias Pettersson, it's like, you've got better facilities where you're at. That that's That's a problem, especially if a big part of what you're billing as your competitive advantage is how you're going to develop players and the work you're going to put in during the offseason. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We are here live at Northview Golf and Country Club uh, on site for the Canucks Alumni Golf Classic. Just had a really great chat with Arthur Arthur Griffiths, and uh, we will see if we can wrangle up some other Canucks alumni here as they make their way around the track at Northview. Keep your text coming in. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trans, Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the mobile Kintech studio today. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we are at the Mobile Kintech Studio because we're live at the Canucks Alumni Golf Classic here at Northview Golf and Country Club in Surrey. Beautiful day, and uh, our, our fearless leader, Cam Barra, is hopefully... <laughs> I look, I can see him just kind of staring, hopefully, at uh, the turn from 9 to 10, trying to see if he can snag uh, an alumni or two here and uh, force them to sit down 
and have a chat with us. So hopefully we'll be able to do that at some point. He's so. done a really good job snagging yes, yes, yes. The number one job. <laughs> Got us some sliders and some hot dogs. Yeah. So that was important. From the sports bar, too. Yeah. Just want to shout now, out. Now we'll, uh, now we'll try to get to work on uh, on some guests. So, although, shout out <laughs> to uh, to Arthur Griffiths for joining us in the last segment. Also, always really enjoy chatting with him. Uh, in the meantime, a couple of texts I wanted to get to in the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, this one, Bo from Burnaby, who says, thank you for nerdy hockey talk in May and June. You're oh, you're, you're welcome, so welcome. That's all we do. That's what we do here. We are contractually mandated to do it. <laughs> we are We are very much encouraged to do it. <laughs> yes, strongly encouraged. Uh, and he says, and, and keeping on that theme of nerdy hockey talk, if you have to pick one of these guys as the third pairing right side defenseman, do you put money on? So he's fra- framing <laughs> sorry, it as a sorry, gambling I, question. I, I I don't know why I have to tell this story, but it's okay, so go good. Ahead. So my wife, um, my wife had like this new colleague or whatever when we were down in California, and I'm doing the show remotely, right? So uh, they can hear me yelling from the <laughs> other room. And and this new colleague of my wife's says like, "Yeah, I'm sorry about that. My husband's just doing his radio show." And, you know, she starts telling him the details, right? Oh, yeah, 650. Um, yeah, no. Uh, and so the guy's excited about it. Seems excited about it. He's like, yeah. oh, wow, who's your husband? And she's like, oh, it's Thomas Trance. And the guy's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never mind. Then. <laughs> and, and my wife's just like, yeah, you either like him or don't. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought I'd tell that story that briefly on air. That is very, very, very good. <laughs> Not the answer he was hoping for. That's too funny. <laughs> uh, anyways, Bo from Burnaby says, uh, if you have to pick one of these guys as the third-pairing right defenseman, right shot defenseman, do you put money on Jet Wu, Cole McWard, Philip Johansson, or Noah Juleson? I was talking about some mer- nerdy hockey talk there. A fantastically, is, fantastically nerdy question. That is deep. From Bo, Let's from go Burnaby. deep. I mean, here's the thing. First of all, I'll say, like, I'm going off the board, and I'm taking Tyler Myers, at least to open the season, right? Like, we've got Ethan Bear, Philip Ronick, and, and Tyler Myers down the right side, and unless something kind of goes not according to plan for Ethan Bear and his contract negotiations, or something really unexpected happens with Tyler Myers and his contract situation and his trade value... Like I think, kind of think that's how they're lining up on opening night, right? Barring injury, barring anything, barring like trade. that, yeah, barring barring an unexpected trade. Like, yeah, I would qualify a Tyler Myers trade pre-deadline as unexpected. So, so let's take the exercise as pricing it out. Okay, okay, we should do a segment on pricing out things like this, by the way, because it's good. I love it. So let's price it out. So, because I, I agree with you, I think Tyler Myers should be the betting favorite. Yes. Um. So let, let's price him out at what minus one ten. Sure. Okay. All right. So then how would you price out the rest so, of them? So, okay, and I then think I'll the, fisk your next, the next favorite would be, well, I, ha- I have to say Philip Johansson. If we're just talking hockey, I would say Noah Juleson, but he's not under contract. He's a Group 6 UFA. Totally. Right? Oh, so, yeah. So he's free to go anywhere else. There's zero, zero guarantee whatsoever that he's going to be back. So I think the next one has to be Philip Johansson, who, yeah, I haven't seen him at the uh, North American pro level, but... We know the organization so, so is very high on him. I suppose. I suppose if we're doing this, the 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 bet is the bet is right that we have to do the wording. Yeah. Who will take line rushes third on yes. the right side of the Canucks yes. defense yes. in game one of the regular season? Right. Yeah. So I think you have to price out Ethan Bear. Oh, okay. All right. You know because you're going to have Tyler Myers or, up potentially with OEL, or, or, or could you have or could you have Juleson up with Hughes, where right. he played before right. he got hurt and looked pretty good? Right. I mean, if you even if you extend, so don't you have to have 
Bear as like plus 200 to plus 250 to be the next up? I would say yes. And then I think I think Juleson's a super fair um, third place contender uh, plus, you know, 350 plus 400. That would be my view of it anyway. Who's next? So I think it would be Johansson next. I think you're right. Right. Because and then I think I would go Wu and McWard. I didn't see anything. Not, and this is no disrespect, right? He's a younger NCAA free agent, but I didn't see anything from Cole McWard that made me think he was going to be banging down the door for an NHL job. Right? Yeah, like, it, it could happen, but uh, you know, I agree. I think I think you've got the order right, and I think I'd go like McWard plus eight hundred, Wu plus f- five fifty. Like, I don't think it's a big. I don't think it's, there's a lot of sunlight between Johansson and Wu, and for what that's it's fair. worth, that's fair. For what it's worth, Wu continued to play ahead of Johansson once Johansson joined the Abbotsford Canucks. Like. At the end of the day, that's a pretty relevant data point. You know, like, yeah. do you remember Do you remember when I, we came back, or when I came back, when we ca- came back for this season? I'd, I'd just been back from Pemberton. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, boy, Neil Zaman, I don't know if he's going to be a good, but he's going to be an NHL player because mm-hmm. of his, his um, length and skating ability. And when we were up in Whistler, it was like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's got an NHL skill set. You can tell right away, if a guy like Amon – had come and joined the Abbotsford Canucks during their American League playoff run, like Jeremy Colton would have seen him skate once and put him in the lineup. Right. I promise you that. Right. Right? Johansson didn't have that sort of, oh, wow, factor to his game, or he would have been in the lineup right away. And so, you know, that to me, like, it's not a huge data point. I'm not leaning on this, but uh, but it's a relevant one, uh, uh, you know, for us to consider as bookmakers, as fake bookmakers of this particular prop bet. <laughs> um, and, and I do think I do think it's worth keeping in the back of your mind that like Wu, at least from the vantage point of this past few weeks or, or month anyway, has has materially beaten out Johansson for minutes, and and so that would that would loom large in my in my pricing there, and I'd still put Johansson first based on the excitement level that the organization yep. had for him, um, you know, prior to uh, you know bringing him over to North America, like. The, the, I really think this organization has long had their eye on giving him a long look at training camp for an NHL job. And, and I wouldn't imagine that, you know, how he looked following a long SHL season has in any way altered uh, their viewpoint of that. But it's just a u- useful thing where where they've kind of told us what they think about those two players in at least one instance. And Johansson's going to have to upset the apple cart to change that at training camp. You know, and I think the other part of this is we go through. So let's say. They trade Tyler Myers, right? There's an unexpected trade for Tyler Myers. Let's say Noah Juleson doesn't re-sign. So of the guys who really played here next year, you're talking about, okay, it's going to be Bear and Hronick in the top uh, uh, in the top four on the right side. Like, I still think you would also have to price out the field, right? Because, yeah, they want to look at Philip Johansson, and, yeah, they were excited about Jet Wu and what he did down the stretch in Abbotsford. I don't think you'd price out the field as, like, a long shot. No, I think you price like, it in as like you'd have, you. I think you would be looking at like, well, who's going to be the next maybe, Luke Shen? Maybe like pl- maybe like plus one fifty. Right. Maybe, maybe because, the field is after Tyler Myers. Because I think we have to keep in mind the goals for this team. Right. That's a huge part of this. And yes, they might be really, really excited about Johansson. They might be really excited about the progress that Wu made. But that doesn't mean they're not going to look to say like, okay, who's that UFA out there? Right. Maybe who has a little bit of experience that. We can. We feel like we can at least bring in as an option. Uh, we know we can put these types of guys with Quinn Hughes and have some success. Like that would be high on my list of potential options as well. well it's like they went pretty far down the road last summer talking to Calvin DeHaan. Yep. And ultimately, 
I think there were too many concerns, too many red flags in the medicals. And so they opted to bring Danny DeKaiser to training camp instead, right? I mean, that's a very realistic possibility. Think about their third pair. Like, if we'd done this exercise for third pair left defensemen Mm -hmm. at this time last year, Mm -hmm. right, the favorite would have probably been, like, Jack Rathbone. Yep. Right? Or uh, it would have been, like, and and the winner would have been Riley Stillman, who was nowhere near, like, nowhere within 500 feet of our radar. No. So... Things can change, particularly in the depth ranks, and for sure, you'd you'd think, you'd hope that they're gonna explore and kick tires on uh, unrestricted free agent options to to you know affordable ones, but yep. nonetheless to bolster their. Blue yeah, that's the thing, because like at the level we're talking about, it's even you know you're just talking about like the the under million dollar options to fill out your roster, right? So you can make the cap room, even a team in the Canucks situation. Um, a text in from Allen Brooklyn, by the way. All eyes on TD Garden tonight, which is hosting Game 7 of the Miami Heat versus Boston Celtics. Do you believe in miracles? Just want to say... So, it's, did you know the stat in the NBA? Of oh, teams 0-3? Yeah. Uh, it's like 150, something 150 like that. 150 yeah. and nothing, yeah. right? So we've never seen this. Now, yeah. do you know the stat, though, for the home team? Like the home favorite coming back from 03. Well, it's never happened, right? Like they've no, no. But it's only it's only happened three times that a, that a team like um, that, that a is favored uh, no that a favored team has fallen behind three nothing oh, in a okay. series. Yeah, like in the NBA where talent has so much opportunity to make a huge impact, right? Like if you're the best player on the ice in hockey, how likely is it that you determine the outcome of a game? Far less likely yes. than it is well, first for the of all, best player in unless basketball. You're def- unless you're a goalie, right? That's a different subject. But even if you're like a real heavy minute defenseman, you're on the ice for half the game. Like yeah, a yeah. real top of the right. workload. Like we ride this guy. You're on the ice for half the game. Right. Whereas Bam Adebayo played 45 minutes yeah. in game six. So, yeah. I mean, you have more. But also, you know, the absolute best, most prolific shooter in an NBA or sorry, in an NHL game might have nine shot attempts, yeah. right? Nine to 11 shot attempts is like, wow, he was dominant. He was yeah. constantly... He was all over the puck, yeah. creating chances. And in the NBA, like the highest volume shooter easily could have 30 plus 11 more free throw mm-hmm. attempts, right? I mean, it's just your opportunity to influence outcomes is so much greater in the NBA that we don't see underdogs take 3 nothing leads the same way we see that occur on occasion, not even on occasion, with with some regularity in the NHL. And this basically, like, we're not looking at the Celtics facing uh, has only happened 150 times or has happened 150 times and no one's ever eliminated this. This is the fourth time it's happened, which makes it a far less remote possibility. And by the way, Vegas was pretty aware of this. Like, obviously, I was thirstily checking the odds on, on, the a, on, a, on a Celtics reverse sweep here, and it never got above plus 650, plus 800, which I always felt was not a good enough price considering how much luck you still need to win four in a row in basketball, mm-hmm. um, as we saw in game six, by the way. What a game. Woo. Uh, and by the way, if you're just looking at tonight, it's not really – it's like I get it because you do have to consider the fact they, they were down 0-3, but if you just look at it as an individual tonight – Boston's seven and a half point favorites. You know what I mean? Like Dude, they they opened they, they opened, opened at, at ten. ten and a half. Yeah, I know. Like they're heavy, heavy favorites well, because and, they're playing at home here. And uh and they're gonna cover that, I think. But also the over like the two oh two, everyone expects game seven to be a rock fight, and it probably will be, but man, 
202 is way too low. Like by uh, a factor a, of about 10 I see it up to points. 204 now, so people, yeah, are, people be. are on board with well, you. Glad I, glad I bought it. At, I bought an Escalated over at 212.5. Very excited for that level of degeneracy this Congratulations. evening. Congratulations. Well, and, and so one last thing is tonight is one of my favorite sad nights of the year because the cup final and the NBA final won't occur at the same time. Right, like you're gonna have. They'll try to offset it as they, much as they, they can. They yeah. will. They will offset. Yeah. It. So yeah. tonight is the last night where you got both. Where we're gonna have like a big go to a sports bar and have two games you really care about on TV night until the NFL comes back in September. Now I don't count baseball just because baseball. Like, are you really watching two baseball games at the same time? Like, I watch a lot of baseball, but that's. I got. It's a I little gotta, different, especially through the summer. I got to enjoy one. By the time it's high stakes, the NFL is back. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's yeah. like. Until September 10th, there will not be two, uh, a two-game night that I really care about. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to soak up tonight. I'm going to really enjoy it, and I hope all our listeners do the same. Yeah, and, I mean, speaking of, uh, you know, miracle comebacks, it's not quite the same in hockey because it's been done before, and just specifically in the Stars and the Golden Knights series, this is not a one-seed versus an eight-seed or a two-seed versus an eight-seed, right? Like, this is a series that everyone expected to be really close. But I do think it's interesting that, you know, Dallas gets to go home and play in Dallas tonight in game oh, five they've, or in game six. Excuse me. They've I, also been so – they were so much better than the Stars in games four and five that, like, I'm really nervous for, for the Golden Knights. <laughs> it makes me, like, kind of angry at Jamie Benn that he – ruined game three right off the jump because like the last two games have been or, what i expected or, or the series would be uh, but is it still feels like we could have had more of a legit back and forth series except game three went off the rails now look if the but stars they, went tonight they've lost then we're going all to game three seven. games with ben in the lineup and they've won both games with ben out of the lineup maybe he was uh doing the team a favor <laughs> he was the jigs yeah how do you know <laughs> is do you have a favorite rfa defenseman target for the Canucks. Do I have a favorite RFA defenseman target yeah. for the Canucks? Or sorry, UFA. UFA. Oh, UFA. Yeah. Um, UFA defenseman target. I was going to say RFA. Like, wow, that's awfully specific. I <laughs> know. Well, they, those don't move. Yeah. UFA defenseman, I don't know, honestly, like uh, Ian Cole. Yeah. Like, really it, down yeah. the list. Okay, we just need someone who can come in and do, like, very reliable, predictable things, fill out our depth chart a little bit. Like, that's kind of where I'm looking. I don't... He's he uh, he still might be pricey, yeah. But he's pretty far down the list, and the he depth and chart. he plays both left and right. That's the advantage, and I guess he's got the relationship with Rutherford from playing yep. for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, so that's if I was kind of, and that's the thing. It's partly based on I do legitimately think he would meet some needs, and partly there's a connection there, right? Like as a name to kind of watch. I mean, in a vacuum, I actually don't necessarily hate whatever Vlad Gavrikov's next deal is going to be. Like, I, I think there's a chance for a team to get some value there and have have it be a win for them. I don't think it makes a ton of sense for the Canucks, specifically. I think, I think there's a few defensemen that are going to sign, like, the, so they're in that, like, 27 to 28-year-old range, and they're not going to get eight years. They're going to get, like, four or five. Right, right. Where you sort of and, – and this is just, like, a general rule, like – you know, TJ Brody kind of fell off for the Leafs this year, but for the most part, that contract's been fine. Ham Hughes obviously signed for the Canucks, and by the end of his deal, he didn't have value, but that contract was a win. You know, Jason Garrison, people um, 
didn't love his Canucks tenure, but they traded the deal for a second round pick, and like he re- remained a good contributor. Chris in Tanev Bay. in Calgary, totally. Yeah, know? like you get these deals for defensemen that I, I actually tend to think make sense. Like if you're going UFA shopping for like a three four defenseman, I, I tend to think you actually can do okay in that that particular market. Um, there's a lot of guys I think who will sign deals that aren't terrible in in the defenseman market. Like I think uh, Ryan Graves. His, I don't think his deal is going to be, like, toxic. Mm. Gavrikov, I think, you know, so long as he's less than 5'5", five five, I think you're fine. Um, I think Connor Clifton is is probably going to be a really sharp pickup for somebody who has the space to pay him. You know, Carson Soucy. Carson Soucy, I was just going to bring that up, yeah. And and for me, Soucy, like, Soucy Cole, both would have appeal because they're bigger guys, physical guys, and they can play right and left. So, like, you could potentially put them on a on a pair to stabilize Philip Peronic, but you could also potentially put them on Quinn Hughes's right side and have them be like the Jordy Ben type in, in that role and, and a Jordy Ben type with more upside. Like Susie can actually rip it. So if you had him playing his offside with Hughes, mm. just like feasting on one-timers, I actually think that could be a, a pretty interesting fit. So for me, I, I mean, I, I like the Cole pick. I actually think that makes a ton of sense as a realistic option, but I'll, I'll throw Carson Yeah, Susie's an interesting one my there. Answer we, we had somebody just text in all caps, Susie, uh, as well. So somebody else is on board there. Uh, somebody text in Damon Severson. To me, like, that's the profile that the Canucks should be avoiding, where – so much of his value in the past, I know it's been different now, but it's more crowded in New Jersey, but like has been his ability to contribute offensively, which inflates your price. And, you know, you already have Hronick, you already have Hughes, like how many offensive opportunities? If you're, if you're bringing in a UFA defenseman, you want them to be giving you so much of their value defensively. One, because that's where you need help. But two, that keeps prices down as well. You don't have to pay through the nose for like really good defensive defensemen in the way you do with guys who have you know any shred of offensive upside. I'm a big Severson fan, but he doesn't address Vancouver's major need, which is like defensive awareness. If you go back like three or four years, I would have 100% been like, okay, figure out a way to get Damon Severson here. Get him here. Like, really like the player. You know, he was on a good contract for a long time. He, at the end of the day, like... It's just not a fit yeah. here. At right? the end of the day, he drives play, right? Like, he'd be a win. It's just that he also has some, like, yips. Like, he has some yips defensively in his game. Um, which, again, don't ne- negate his overall value. But I don't know that this... T- Excuse me. I don't know that this team can afford another player who profiles that way. Like that, that just to me feels like the exact same profile that Bear and Heronic already have. That's the thing. If you're looking to balance out, and obviously Hughes is, you know, in a, a totally tier of his own. Echelon, yeah. But if you're looking to flesh out and complete a blue line that already has, as its kind of three main components, Quinn Hughes, Ethan Bear, and Philip Heronic, at a certain point you have to start targeting other attributes. Here, let me give you one more name. This right. is the name that. I think is going to be super undervalued in free agency, but is like totally good. And that's Justin Hole. Interesting. Because I think of Hole's connection to the Leafs because he was so often um, the goat, mm-hmm. the scapegoat anyway, for Maple Leafs fans, because Maple Leafs players are a little bit overexposed and his game is kind of subtle in, in terms of his contributions. Like he, he makes loud mistakes, right? But at the end of the day, he's a big right-handed defenseman who – contributes pretty well to the offense and can totally hold up in, in hard minutes. And I think he's going to be way underpaid for a guy who can totally hold up in hard minutes and is a right-handed guy who is large, right? Like those attributes should be highly desirable to teams. And yet I think he's going to be the guy who falls through the cracks. I mean, if there's value to be had there, he's like one of the perfect 
people you could put with Quinn Hughes because mm. he just is disciplined about putting the puck into into space. He doesn't take a lot of point shots, right? Like he has good offensive instincts, genuinely good offensive instincts. Like I don't think you could design a, a better like Hughes amplifying partner in a lab than than Justin Hole. And if the price is right there, I think that would be a, a home run. Cut. Yeah, and the other part of this question, this this is just kind of a general UFA philosophy, but especially when you're in the position that the Canucks are in, right? Is okay, who should they sign in UFA? Well. It opens on July 1st. Ask me on July 8th, right? right. When we see who's still left. Yeah. Who's still out there? And, okay, it might not be your first option, but you're probably going to get them a good deal. And guess what? There will be players who sign, you know, a week after free agency starts that end up playing a really good role and a really important role for their team and help right. their team win, right? So it's like, I don't know, you're, you're strapped for cash. Like, you can design the perfect list and, oh, we think this guy would be a great oh, no, fit. No. But we're not, we're not shopping perfect just, lists. Yeah, no, we're not. So just like, I don't know, July 8th, who's still out there? Give them a call. See what's up. Got any, uh, got any trade target names you like? On defense? Mm-hmm. Not off the top of my head. Um, well, let me show you a list and then have you pick a name. <laughs> you know, I the one that does come to mind, and it's on your list, but uh, Sean Dersey in uh, in L.A. Just as, like, if they're if they're motivated to move defensemen because they have the guys coming up, right, in Brant Clark, uh, and there's the other one whose name I'm blanking on now Sorry. that I think they – Helge Grons? Yes, I think that's it. That's but there's the somebody Swedish else who's going to be pushing for a spot on that – uh, on sure. that blue line, or at least I think is like no longer wager or going to be waiver uh, el- eligible, right? So they're going to have to make a yeah. move. That's a name that stands out. To in, me. in addition to Doughty and Sean Walker and uh, Matt Roy, yeah, um, who didn't become the GM of or sorry the CEO of Waystar, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I mean I I like I like Jersey a lot. I'm I'm the president of the Jersey fan club. Super high event though. Like a really a tough fit Fine for the me. Canucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. Sounds good to me. So. I don't totally disagree with you. Um, <laughs> Sounds fun to watch. Sounds like lots of content to talk about. Yeah, I, I've ridden hard for um, for Provorov, but Logan Stanley to me is a standout. Really, really strong stick. Not not the type of defenseman you'd think that would be that I'd be a fan of, but I think he does a lot of really subtle things well that the analytics are missing, and I, I don't know that he's been in. Um, necessarily the greatest opportunity. Like, if you could ever put him with, like, Ethan Bear, a guy to really help him with retrievals on on sort of a a third or second pair, I think you could potentially have something there. Uh, And the age is right. And the age is right, and the profile is exactly what the Canucks don't have, right? The height is right. Six foot seven. Yeah, big fella. He's yeah, a, he's a, he's a big boy, and his and he uses his stick. Like obviously, he's got a long stick because he's a giant human being, <laughs> but he uses it really intelligently. Like I think he's a really disruptive defensive piece, and I think there's more to his game than he's shown. Um, he's a classic. Like the he, the Jets overdrafted him, mm. and so immediately he became a bust in his market because he wasn't a star player. But that's okay. Like I think he's exactly the sort of guy who can actually be you know, well worth the draft cost in a lower pressure environment so long as people accept, like, the ceiling's probably more like physical 3-4 than it is, you know, dominant physical oh. top-of-the-lineup defenseman. Yeah, 100%. But that is, like, it's a good point, right, that 
once you're taken in the first round in that position, you always have those high expectations. And if you you can still be a really good player, you can still be a really useful player, even if you're not uh, living up to those expectations necessarily. Uh, I enjoyed that. That was a that was a fun exercise. UFA defenseman targets and trade targets as well. Uh, feel free to text in 650-650. Anyone you think the Canucks should be pursuing on the blue line, either through unrestricted free agency or on the trade market. Should we do it for uh, for third line centers on the other side? Yeah, the Sounds other good. the other position of need for the Vancouver Canucks. We will do that, uh, and we'll see if uh, if our guy Cam Barrett hey, can, uh, can find us an alumni to talk to. Pro tip: There are no good third line centers available. I thought you were going to say there are no good third line centers. I was like, that's not true. Oh, that's There's some really good third line centers. No, that's but, that's kind of true. Well, no, they're playing in the playoffs right now, though. Good third line that's centers. That's true. They're, the young guys are really good, and obviously William Carlson is. Massively overqualified. Yes. But that's, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, I guess you, you would say like a good third line center is just a second line center, but you don't have room for on the second line. So he's just playing third line oh, sorry, that's, center by that's default. That's 100% yeah. the case. But yeah. Okay. Uh, anyways, we can talk about it. Options for the Canucks third line center. Uh, that's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Trance live from Northview Golf and Country Club. Uh, Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Uh, live from the mobile Kintech studio today, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And uh, we were doing the exercise. You know, it's not uh, it's, not, it's not breaking news. We, say, we've, we've asked you to choose your own adventure. Yes. And, uh, and in choosing your own adventure, if you make every right decision, you lose in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final because it's a choose-your-own-adventure Canucks edition. <laughs> just every – you just keep flipping through the book. You're yeah, like, wait, like, there's no good ending? <laughs> this, is, this is it? That's the pinnacle? <laughs> Where's the good ending? <laughs> must be a misprint. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, hey, it's better than the Leafs version where no matter what you do, you lose in the first yeah. round. You, you either lose <laughs> in the first round or you win in the first round, and then your organization suffers a complete meltdown a or, week later. Or, it's like, what? Or, or, the Flames, or the Flames version where no matter what you do, the star player leaves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's true. It, it is funny because um, we're so starved for playoff hockey here, right? That, and this came up with Bruce Boudreau, and sometimes you'll hear it even about like a player target. Like, oh, they're not good at the playoffs, though. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, like, oh, Bruce Boudreau can't win in the playoffs. It's like, let's if, – if Boudreau had – if his tenure had turned out that, like, he led the Canucks to the, to the playoffs three or four years in a row and they struggled once they got into the playoffs, it's like, wow, that sounds awesome. That sounds like a major improvement. Sorry, dude's let's, like dude, – Let's get to that point and then we'll talk about it and then we'll worry about it after that point. Dude might be the most beloved Canucks head coach of my lifetime and he led them to nearly the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like quotes around nearly even, quite frankly. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was never really that near, but that's that's the mode I'm in. Like, okay, a player can have playoff concerns, but uh, it would be that would be a wonderful problem to have uh, for the Vancouver Canucks going forward. So anyways, in the last segment, we were talking about uh, UFA and trade targets on the blue line for the Canucks. And of course, the other major area of need that 
you just look at the roster, you can tell, but we've also heard directly from Patrick Alvin that this is a priority for them in the summer is third line center. And I think it's actually, you know, we've talked so much for years about improving the blue line, but I think at this point, third line center is just from a, a straight up hockey standpoint. If you want to make this team as competitive as possible for next year, third line center is the key position that you need to upgrade. And, that's going to be very tricky to do because if we run through this same exercise and you go look at, you know, cap friendly and UFA centers on the market, there's not a lot of enticing options. No, um, there are not. I, you know, the, to the point where if we're just, if we want to start with UFAs, like the first name on my list, and this is not your a, list or from the inbox. No, on my list. Cause we have some fun suggestions from the, well, inbox. I'll just, I'll tell you, okay, we'll start with UFA. Cause we've got some, trade targets that I think are interesting in the inbox. And I know you had one uh, last week, I think, as well, an interesting trade target. But, like, if you're just looking at UFA, the guy who jumps to mind for me is Teddy Bluger. And I'm not saying that's a Stanley Cup caliber third-line center. I mean, he's he's on a team that's still playing, and he's not their third-line center, right? Like, that should tell you everything you need to know. But if you just think about, like, age, what the relative cost is going to be, what they can do on the ice. Experience, like speed. Experience. Like, that's kind familiarity. of. Familiarity. That's kind of the name that jumps to mind for me as the most logical fit. Big Teddy Bluger fan. Um, he was my favorite character, too, in Revenge of the Nerds. Um, yeah, Teddy Bluger. That's a good one. I mean, he's a UFA, and he's in the right price range. Um and he's a real center. Like, like Well, that's a huge part of it. Let's not ignore that. I mean, I, my answer would be Nick Bugstad mm-hmm. because he's grafted this uh, functional um, defensive intelligence onto his game, but I still like him on the wings, too. He's right-handed, six foot seven, um, great person, just like a great guy. Uh, was always a nice guy, but I think his game reflects – the maturity that he's actually gone through in his life. Now, I'm obviously talking about a guy who I know personally, yes. so it's a little different. But, like, you know, he had kids. Um, he got traded. He started to get chewed up and, and spit out by the NHL business machine. And I, I think that's modified his game. Like, I think he's so attentive to details of his game that he didn't necessarily have when he was, like, a 25-goal guy. And, and he's really become a useful depth player, and yet I watched him play – for for the Oilers in the playoffs, and I thought, man, I, I still think he'd have offense if you moved him to the wing. Like I think he's one of those guys who can be a good third line center and hold up, uh, even if he's playing like secondary matchup minutes. But I also think he could have like real value still offensively, either as a net front guy or a flank shooter on the power play. Um, I think he'd add a dimension that this team is desperate for in terms of size, versatility, and then, you know, he'd be an unbelievable ad from a media perspective because he's a great quote and an easy guy to deal with. So uh, I'll go with I'll go with Bugstad as my pick. I like it. Um, arguments can be made. Like, obviously, I think everyone missed the boat on Max Domi as the answer at middle six center. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like, could you have signed him for three years, three and a half last summer? For quite, sure. Quite easily. No chance. Quite now. easily. Now, yeah, now no. I think he's like... He, he, I mean, if you're a team sorting, like you're just sorting the centerman, I think he's on the, at the, like, JT Comfer or Max Domi. Do you actually have to think about it before you pick JT Comfer? I think you do. I don't know. I think I would still pick Comfer pretty easily. I don't know, man. Max, but I think Max Domi has put himself into, like, the number two position. Domi is legitimately more dynamic. Like, Domi will give you more offense. 
Yeah, but he also has the history of major defensive questions, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is relevant. And I, like we have people texting in Max Domi, the price the price just doesn't work out. Not and anymore. again, I do think there are like fifth well, questions of, as a third line center as well. But and and so I didn't pick another guy who I think is way outside the Vancouver Canucks price range. But I'm going to say this name, and you guys are all going to guffaw at me for saying this name and and say and presenting him as like one of the top targets. But yeah. I promise you, this is a four million dollar player. Uh, next month, but Pius Suter is yeah. legitimately the best option available. It's just that even he's a four million dollar option. That's the thing. I don't mind the player, but if if because of the paucity on the market, his price is getting driven up that much, then I do mind. He's, it. he's you he's, know what I mean. I mean, I think he's like a totally fine option at four million if you have the space for it. Like, I think he can deliver that. I think he's a good middle six center, and I don't think there's a lot like you. You very quickly get into the class of guys where it's like. Halla, who's like not really a full time center in yep. my mind. Teddy Bluger, or sorry, uh, Teddy Bluger is a fourth liner. Evan Rodriguez, who's really a winger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Thomas Nosick, fourth liner. Yeah. Camp, you know, uh, he's a third liner for sure, but, um, you know, you, you really quickly get out of the business of, of guys who are real middle six guys um, after you get past Comfer, Max Domi, and Pius Suter. You know, like I guess, I guess I'll have time for Lars Eller, but it feels doesn't Lars Eller feel like he's now at the stage of his career where he's going to be like a fourth line yes. center on a really good on team? on a really really good team, a uh, good you know? veteran team. Yeah. yeah. So like, I I think you're I think you know I I think all of those guys get four plus. I really do. It's going to be wild. <laughs> it's going to be That's, absolutely wild when that transpires. Uh, so we had some other suggestions that yep. I liked that I think are worth getting into. Someone mentioned Ryan O'Reilly. I saw. Canucks Army brought up that possibility. Yep. Really was not impressed with Ryan O'Reilly's five-on-five game this past year. I know he had some clutch goals for the Leafs, but wasn't his speed a, a compounding issue for them yep. in that Panthers series? I thought so. And, you know, we even have one person Really sick in, on the power play. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly for 3C package next year's first to clear enough cap space because that's the thing. Like even This guy the- just doesn't want – this guy just wants to torture me. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> He's I'm, just I'm, get to I'm take pretty you off. confident that's a, what do we used to call it? Trigger Drance oh, trigger or whatever. Drance, yeah, 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 I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. that's a trigger Drance. That's funny. It's a submission. But uh, and Adam Lowry is a great because even before you get to the hockey stuff with Ryan O'Reilly and like how much does he have left? He, Ryan O'Reilly's chasing cups, man. Like I know he, he's already won the cup, but like he's in that phase of his career where he's like super respected veteran. He, I, I think you're gonna have to. You'd have to pay through the nose to bring him here to oh, a team to, that's to, not clearly sure, sure. a competitive team. Sure, but right? I mean, I think you're gonna have to pay through the nose to get him anyway. Because well, that's what I mean. But yeah. like, and then it, it's like for him to come to a non-competitive team or at least a team that hasn't been competitive in recent years. Like, I just, I just think it's a non-starter. I do think though that he's the one guy in this free agent class with that level of gravitas, and I'm gonna keep banging the drum for for this because you know. I've brought up like guys like Patrick Hornquist in mm-hmm, the past, mm-hmm. Evgeny Malkin. Like I do think bringing in a guy who has been at the top, who can show everyone what, what what work it takes to be there. Like the Canucks haven't had a person like that in the organization since the Twins retired. You know, and and I do think this crew of players, right? Like you think about the absence of Chris Tanev and what that meant mm-hmm. after Chris Tanev departed, and it's like. I just think this organization is lacking in some real respects, like that that weight, that that focused weight from a guy who knows what it takes to actually win as a team in this league. Like I do think that 
you know, the reason that I can at least like see the case for O'Reilly is that I do think bringing in a person like that would matter a lot for this group. Milan Lucic. Oh, I'm here for that. I mean, I'm I might be like the last remaining member of the Milan Lucic fan club. That's the other guy, though, right? And obviously, there's the connection the, here. The, the, it's at the end of the day, though. Like you bring in Milan Lucic, and it's to do what? Play him on the fourth line. Yeah. At this stage of his 100%. career, and and I want to be I want to be like very clear. Like you watch Milan Lucic play, and there, you know, he needs some help in terms of transporting the puck these days, but he's so smart. That like even this past season, even at whatever age he's at now, a uh, thirty three, thirty four, or something like that, he still actually drives play meaningfully. Like he's so intelligent that he actually can drive a line, provided that it's you know a, um, a fourth or a third line. I mean, I think Lucic would be a fabulous ad for for this roster for a for a ton of reasons. But it's it's like bringing in you know a good guy and leader like Jay Beagle. As opposed to bringing in someone with no, the weight I'm talking about. I think it's different, though, because... You absolutely need to be playing top nine minimum. I just think... Top I, nine, top four. I think it is different than Jay Beagle, though, because Beagle was never a top guy. And not that Lucic was, like, the top at his position, but no. he was a really key player on hyper-successful teams you, you at a high level. You can't have a guy who you're ever considering scratching. Yeah. it can't, Like, it needs to be... You know what I mean? Because the... I just think Lucic is, like, the realistic budget option. For this guy. Sure. You know what I mean? Hey, and I'm, it doesn't I'm, check all those boxes, but it's like you get some of them and it's Milan Lucic and as uh, all the things you're saying. I wish about I him, could right? I wish I could explain to you how excited I'd be about uh Milan Lucic Connor Garland combo on a third <laughs> line. Like I wish I could tell you how much I would enjoy that. Just because you've got a you know, I said he needs some help as a transporter, like that's Garland. Yep. yep. And and what, what could Garland use? A backboard an, a backboard who stands in front of the net. Yeah. Like <laughs> Right, like just like do some dipsy doodles and throw it to yeah, a guy who's just like beasting in front of the net. Impossible to dislodge. Let's from the go! Net like front. I'm, I'm here for that. Um, you know, you, you, if you're telling me Niels Amon is the third line center, and it's a Lucic Amon Garland line, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of here for that. So yeah, that I mean, would be I'm absolutely. Not, phenomenal. I'm not stomping on your idea so much as I do think what I'm what I'm talking about. I do think requires a level of effectiveness. Beyond that, which I think Milan Lucic still yeah. has, and 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 that's not to say again. I I think the guy's awesome. I think he'd be a really great fit for a team on as like um as like a sixth or seventh best forward on a really good team, right? But I I think he's like fringe third line, first guy up from the fourth line level at this point, and I I think you need to be a little higher up the lineup if you're gonna be uh, if you're gonna be the sort of like legit culture changer that I'm kind of poking at. Uh, this one, back to the center conversation specifically, uh, this one comes in from Rager. Would Adam Lowry have the Canucks on his list of teams? Has a modified, modified no trade given everything going on in Winnipeg? Three more years at 3.25. Only downside being uh, he's a lefty. That's from Rager bringing up Adam Lowry. And yeah, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in Winnipeg this offseason. Oh, it's only a six-team no-trade list? Yeah, I'd say Vancouver would not be on that. I would be a little bit surprised. It'd be, it'd be, he'd, he'd have to be one of the very few people to have Vancouver on a, on a, li on a list of six teams. Well, we just check off, like, Arizona is on there, for sure. Well, right. anyone anyone hard rebuilding. <laughs> the, uh, the Arizona, yeah. I was going to say Chicago, but you never know with Connor no, Bedard. I probably almost certainly Chicago. Yeah, probably. Like, here's the thing: players, Anaheim players, hate rebuilds more than anything. This is mm. this is the other thing where people are like, players 
don't want to rebuild. It's like, no kidding. Right? Like, literally rebuilding for players is uh, is synonymous with, like, they're not going to try to win. Well, I want to try to win. That's as far as it goes. Like, it's not a more complex thought than that. It's not like, and they're completely repudiating your view of draft capital. It's like, no, no, no. That's not the conversation. Stop. Uh, what do you think about Adam Lowry as a hockey fit? No, I mean, Adam Lowry's the best. <laughs> All right, he's, there you go. He's sick. Like, I don't know what else to say. He's awesome. Adam Lowry is one of those guys, like, I think Cop and Lowry both, right, were sort of hidden in, in Winnipeg. Yes. And, like, Cop sometimes gets thrown into, like, lists of, like, regrettable deals Detroit did last summer. But, like, Cop is good. Cop's legit. And Adam Lowry is better. Like, I think Adam Lowry is awesome. Uh, I like it. This one. Uh, and, and and at that ticket, are you kidding me? Well, that's the thing. He's, that's he, the key. Right? I, I, I'd be like, I'd be like, I, I like, I'd like Adam Lowry at two million more per year. The question then just becomes, what's the deal that's making it work from Winnipeg's perspective, right? right. Do you have the assets no. to uh, to go get him? You probably but great do fit. not. Great target. Um, this one unsigned. Monahan is the wave. I don't think he's going to be ready to start the year. But like I'm, like that was what Monahan's an interesting one to me. I mean, he needs to rebuild his value. That's the thing, and like I think you could do a lot worse as an upside play, right? If you're trying to really be competitive, because it gives you a little, a few options, right? You sign him, and then maybe he rebuilds his value, but you're not that good. Maybe you have an asset at the trade deadline, or he plays really well for you, and you can hold on to him, and he helps you. There's obviously a ton of downside there as well with Sean Monaghan, yep. but as a kind of distressed asset with actually some significant bounce back possibility, I think it's pretty interesting. I just think it's one of those guys who's going to come in midway. Like, I don't right. think, I don't know that he's going to be ready to go from, from what I heard at like Montreal Canadiens locker room cleanup. I'm not, I'm not presenting anything that's sure, not public sure. information, but like, it sounds like it's a little touch and go about whether or not you'll be able to count on him being like your game one third line center. But I, but I do really like the fit aside from that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, too, I just want to note this. Like, if you want to address third line center, use the 11th overall pick. Like, that's the fundamental. Like, the three teams remaining, right? You have one team that has William Carlson playing third line center, mm -hmm. which, like, good luck, right? That's, that's one of those classic expansion holdovers, but also a result of the Vegas Golden Knights absolutely stealing, like, thieving a really good player from the Washington Capitals in, in Chandler Stevenson and him glowing up and becoming just a stud on his own in his own right. Um, and the other two drafted their guys, right? Like Lindell and Wyatt Johnston were first round picks that hit. And, and it's not like they're first round picks from 10 years ago. No, they're first round picks from 2020 and 2021. Um, you know, if you want the case for why the Canucks should not trade down, like for me, the third line center spot is it, you know, you draft a defenseman. It takes them a little longer. Uh, I, I'm still not a big like believer in the NHL. Like they need to play 489 games before you know what they are as a player. Like, no, you know, pretty fast, but it's pretty rare that you have like a 21 year old defenseman who's able to like hold up in tough minutes, right? They might like help you a little further down the lineup or in a protected role, a Sean Dursey quality yeah. kind of guy. Not a lot of Drew Doughty's at age 20. No, <laughs> I won't. <laughs> Look at look at look at the top four remaining in the playoffs. And aside from Miro Haskinen, who you know I'm pretty sure was born at the age of yes. 27. Yeah. Um, like he came into the world at 28 in terms of his defensive awareness. Anyway, <laughs> um, he might actually be like the 
the next example after Drew Doughty. It's just like super young and was like instantly like, oh, yeah. this guy can play 25 well, minutes a night. I in mean, the playoffs. He, he was like he had pro level gap control in the cradle. And so aside from him, though, you know, you, you look up and down the list and it's like Ekblad. Right, Gudis, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's older guys almost took Petrangelo, across the board. Theodore, yeah. Yeah, well, and, and um, certainly Vegas, they're all old. So, you know, you I, I, in terms of what the Canucks could pick that could help them quickly, I do think young centermen in, in third-line roles, like, that's one of the highest leverage pieces you can add outside of, like, the elite of the elite at the very top of the draft. Um, so, you know, that would be, honestly, I think their best short-term answer at uh, at center comes from that 11th overall pick and if you're using that pick to find a different one i think you're really limiting your ability to actually solve the problem and just applying a band-aid yeah because the thing is the long-term solution is the same as it is for like any center position which is draft guys and hope they turn out into really good centers and put them in a position to to turn into really good centers where you have the depth that hey this guy would be second second line center on a lot of good teams but we have the luxury to play him at third line center it's really hard to fill that out via trade or via free agency because centers are just so incredibly expensive like you kind of have to do that through the internal process unless you're as you say you know landing a chandler stevenson type robbery which uh Good luck. That's really, really hard to do. There's a reason it's such a. There's a reason it stands out so much. Brett you know Howden's I mean? an RFA, though. I'm just saying. Uh, here's the other one. Here's the other RFA. Like, because I do think, you know, the the Mike McLeod out okay. of New Jersey. Yep. Is for me like a no-brainer. They can't. They they have too much to do with Jesper Bratt and Timo Meyer. Mm-hmm. That like I think you could steal him for like a third at like a two and a half million dollar clip, that to me would be the sort of play that would be well worth considering. Do I expect the Canucks to consider it? No. But I think if you're like really serious about finding a long term fit at third line center, that's the sort of um that's the sort of target that I think would make would make sense and even make sense for this team to part with assets for given their age and contractual See, situation. See that's why they gotta open up the cap space doing the trade down. Get in on things like this. <laughs> No. <laughs> the look you just gave me. Yeah. It's a, no. The look you just gave me. The trade downs, um, yeah, I'm not here for that. I'm uh, Too much lost I, value. I, I spent way too much time over the weekend thinking about it. <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest no, good. about you. I just spent a lot of time thinking as, about as it. As you should. <laughs> it's. I feel I'm torn because like your point is, well, what are they going to do with the cap space? And I understand that. And I, I think back to, like, that's that's also my argument against the OEL buyout. Right. So I'm kind of a hypocrite, but I also, you know what I mean? It's like, I do think you can assess the move without thinking about what the next move would be. But then I also look at myself and I'm like, well, I don't want them to buy out OEL because I think they're going to well, do we'll, something silly with the cap space. I mean, once the cup is awarded and the buyout window opens, we can do more on the OEL buyout thing. But I think the other, the factor, the reason I've never been moved by that is this is really the last chance when it makes sense. Mm. Like, there's no other year where it makes sense. What if you go into next season and he's at the level that he was at this year again, right? Like, I, I, I'm I'm really rooting for this guy to bounce back, but really he wasn't even at the level where he could play third pair minutes and not hurt you this past season. Um, I don't expect him necessarily to be quite at that level again, but there's a lot of risk that you're taking on, uh, even just sort of waiting to see how it plays out at this point. That is going to do it for us today here on Canucks Talk. Uh, We had a great time out here at the Canucks Alumni Classic at Northview Golf and Country Club here in Surrey. Beautiful day. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Arthur Griffiths uh, for spending some time with us as well. Really appreciated that. We'll be back in the studio tomorrow. You've got it right here. 
on Sportsnet 650.